going to be looking at a message I call, Teach Us to Pray. Lord, teach us to pray. That's in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. As he was praying, when he stopped, one of the disciples said, Lord, Teach us to pray. When we think about those three and a half years that the disciples spent with the Lord Jesus, we, I know we're not supposed to envy, but uh, we just really envy them that time. And I say that knowing full well that Jesus promised us that what we have now was, is better than what they had then. That's in John uh, chapter 14 and 15 and 16 when Jesus told them, it is expedient for you. It's better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come. He is with you now, but he will be in you. When Jesus took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, he took on that physical form of a human being. And he, for the most part, <coughs> accepted the uh, responsibilities and all the things that goes along with being human and being physical. He was in one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit is not bound by the laws of physics, not bound by physical reality. The Holy Spirit can be in you and be in me and be in believers all over the world. And in fact, as Jesus began to teach them about prayer, we're going to find him mentioning uh, the Holy Spirit in his uh, work about prayer. And, and that only makes sense because the Holy Spirit is as we'll see, one of the driving, most powerful driving influences that there is in our prayer life. But when we think about those times of sitting with him, talking with Jesus, visiting with him, I can't help tonight but wonder what it was like to hear Jesus pray. Wouldn't that have been something? And we know that it was incredible. I mean, when he spoke, they went away saying, we've never heard anybody who preached like this. Obviously not. But when he prayed, they said, we need to pray like he prayed. There are times when our knowledge of life seems inadequate. We may have an idea that we know a little bit about something. I uh, I, I thought I knew a little bit one time about changing brakes until I took my car into a brake shop and watched a brake mechanic who did that every day do it. I mean, I struggled and struggled and beat around on those things and got it done, uh, but nothing like what those guys did. It's just amazing how quickly they were able to take those things apart and put them back together. Uh, I used to think I knew how to shovel. I mean, what is it to shovel and stick it in the dirt and put it up? If you've never seen a rice farmer shovel, <laughs> uh, you need to do that sometime before you die. Those guys have uh, taken shoveling to a whole new arc. No wasted motion. It's amazing how much dirt those guys can move in a short, short time. Uh, there are times then when we might have the idea that we know something until we get around somebody who really knows it. That disciple might have thought he had a prayer life until he heard Jesus pray. 
bring this to you tonight because I'm convinced that uh, we need uh, a lot more thinking in our lives right now about prayer. Uh, if that's just uh, my own motivation, if that's uh, just something that I sense the need of in my life and it doesn't apply to you, then y'all just sit out there and enjoy it while I preach to myself. But I doubt very seriously that I'm the only one maybe who feels a, a burden, a sense of urgency, a, a greater need about advancing our prayer life. And so we're going to look at some principles that Jesus brought to us about prayer in response uh, to that request. In a way that Jesus started his disciples out like we started. Now I lay me down to sleep. Let us thank him for our food. We started out with a prayer that we learned. And in Luke's account of this, he says, and he said unto them, when you pray, say. Now, if you look at Matthew's somewhat longer account, Matthew said, uh, after this manner. And, and he said, you pray like this. But uh, in Luke's account, he said, you say things. And I think we put those things together at the end and understand that Jesus was talking to us about things that we need to pray in a general way. He did not forbid us from praying this prayer verbatim. He didn't say, you can't do it. We'll talk more about that in a moment. So he said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us this day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There are those who refer to this as an Our Father. That's the name that it's given, an Our Father. Uh, within that system, it is used as a required act of penance, as it's called. A person who has committed some sin and confessed that to their spiritual leader then is told to recite an Our Father so many times. And uh, there's some indication then that by repeating this prayer multiple times, they could somehow make up for their sinfulness. But there's not a shred of an indication that that is intended in this passage. Uh, there is another prayer that is specifically connected to our sins in Scripture, and that's found in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You see, there's the prayer. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, there is a place, and in fact the Bible tells us that we are to pray for one another, and even, yes, to confess our faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Uh, but this is not put in place in Scripture as a, as a pastoral or a priestly office. We're not under the Old Testament. Uh, we don't need a human intercessor between us and God. When it comes down to it, in the matters of our sins, we can go directly to God. He's the one, after all, who has to forgive us. We can talk to Him directly. We can confess our sin. Lord, I've made, I have messed up. And He then will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And so there's another prayer in Scripture. It is that prayer of confession that we make to God that brings to us the promise of forgiveness of sins, not, not this prayer. Now, Matthew's account, he, we do know that he did spend a lot of time talking to them about forgiveness. And uh, in fact, his, he was saying here, forgive us of our sins. It's, we forgive those who have sinned against us or trespass against us. There are times then that Jesus says that unless we forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ, forgive those who have trespassed against us, then the Father's not going to forgive you either. That's some serious teaching that Jesus put in there in Matthew's account. The importance of forgiveness. But here Luke mentions only how Jesus gave them assurance that God will hear and God will answer our prayers. Aren't you glad that the Bible, the writer of the book of Hebrews, gives to us the invitation, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy. In, uh, in my entire life, I'm over 60 now, and in my entire life I've met with the seating governor, the sitting governor of our state on two different occasions. Uh, when I've had the chance in various settings uh, to get to sit down with the governor and talk to him twice in 60 years. <laughs> I'm glad it's a lot easier to get to God than it is to the governor. <laughs> Can you imagine just having to, okay, you've got one shot at this. <laughs> I'm God, I'm busy. I'll give you an audience one time, okay, twice, twice. It's a lot easier to get to God than it is to get to the governor. And that's a good thing. Because we need God in our life a whole lot. And I would even go so far as to say, no offense, that we need God in our life a whole lot more uh, than we need interaction with Governor Asa. I mean, we, God's going to do a lot more for us. No offense, Governor Asa, but uh, we need God in our life. And God is active and God is working. You see, we tend to call out for supernatural help in times of trouble. And it's almost a matter of intuitiveness. Uh, in the darkest and most remote areas of the world where people know so very little about the Bible, so very little about God. And yet, even in such areas as that, there's a tendency for people to pray for them, something in them, to call out to something beyond them and above them. It is intuitive. It is also almost a matter of instinct for us to call out to help or, to, or for help or, or to cry out to God. But if all prayer has going for it is instinct and intuition, there's not much to it. There's more to it than that. We see prayer as a divine institution. It is something that God has instituted. Jesus Christ gave it to us, showed it to us. And so within that framework, understanding that prayer is not just intuition, it's not just instinct, it's an institution established by God. And tonight I want us to look in Luke 11 and 9 primarily. So I say to you, ask and it would be given to you. Remember the disciples have said, teach us to pray. And Jesus is doing that. 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. The first thing then we see in the passage is how prayer is authorized. So Jesus said, I say to you, ask. I say to you, ask. This is the authorization of prayer. So remember tonight that the commands of our Lord Jesus Christ are every bit as trustworthy as His promises. If Jesus Christ tells us to do it, then He's going to give us the ability, He's going to enable us, He has authorized us to do it. The commands of the Lord Jesus Christ are every bit as trustworthy as His promises. And Jesus does not send us out on insignificant, menial, or meaningless tasks. I remember when I was graduated from high school, I was working in a summer employee for the great, great price at that time of $5 an hour. And let me tell you something, in 1977, that was not pocket change. $5 an hour. And uh, they were uh, assigned me with the task of finding a cable. They said it was buried about six foot deep. It was running underneath a building. And it was probably closer to this end of the building than the other end of the building. That's all I got. And I asked the guy, I said, why don't y'all bring in a backhoe? And he said, because we're already paying you. <laughs> I found out right quick that time I was going to be their backhoe. And I was. I was. Shovel and a grubbing hoe, we call it. That's what I did. And yes, I did find it. And I was very thankful when I did. I'm going to tell you, it was a hot summer time. It was July. I want you to realize tonight, Jesus never gives us a meaningless task. If he assigns us something to do, his job is not just to keep us busy. It's not just make work. The effectiveness of our obedience is never measured in sweat and blisters. That, that's just, he's not just there to see us work and earn our time. Prayer instead in a mysterious and in somewhat inexplicable way involves us in the plans and purposes of God. I want to say that again. In, in in a mysterious, a somewhat inexplicable way, prayer involves us in the plans and purposes of God. We pray, for example, to be saved, for people to be saved. Why do we pray for the salvation of other people? Because the Bible tells us to. I would, therefore, that prayers and supplication given and thanks be given for all men. And so uh, we pray for people. We pray specifically then for people because we know that they need to be saved. Now we know fully well when we call upon God that we're calling on the one who already knows the outcome of that person's eternal destiny. It's not a surprise to God. And yet we are specifically told, you pray... Pray that people would be saved. Pray that we could live a quiet and peaceable life and all godliness and honesty. This is 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. So we pray for all people. We pray for kings. We pray for all that are in authority. 
I think about that passage tonight, and I think you know there's a whole lot of people in high governmental position in the United States of America that need to know God. They need Jesus Christ in their life. They say, oh, you're being judgmental. Uh, I, I just believe that this passage is true. We need to pray for people that they might be saved. That's God's plan. It is God's will. God would have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. Now let me also give you some full disclosure tonight because we are also cautioned in the opposite direction. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 16. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask. And he shall give him, that's God, shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Hmm. <laughs> we kind of skip that passage a lot. And we shouldn't. If I understand the sin unto death correctly, it is that person who rejects God's offer of salvation to their ruin. You can say no to God too many times. And so God says to pray for all people, pray for kings, pray for all those who are in authority because God wants all men to be saved. When a person has finally rejected the gospel and it's obvious that they have no intention of ever being saved, then don't pray for them. There have been a handful of times in my own experience as a pastor over the life where I have ran into people and tried to talk to people. And in trying to share the gospel with them, it became painfully obvious that that person had no intention of receiving the gospel. I've often thought of a man dying of lung cancer. I've talked to you about him before, that I went to visit at the request of his family. He was praying that, you know, my dad is lost. He's dying of lung cancer. I mean, he was dazed from death. When I walked in, he said, oh, here's another preacher. Think you're going to save me? He laughed in my face. I thought about this passage. I want to tell you, I prayed for him anyway. That man had no intention of being saved. Had no interest in being saved. And you'll run across people like that. And if you'll listen, if you'll pay attention to the Holy Spirit, it's almost like he'll tell you, leave them alone. God said that of Ephraim in the Old Testament. Ephraim is settled in his idolatry. God said, leave him alone. Leave him alone. And so the Bible talks about praying for people to be saved, who need to be saved. But it also warns us there's, there's a time maybe when we don't pray for somebody. So we ask ourselves the question there, does praying for someone guarantee that that person is going to be saved? Of course not. On the other hand, you've prayed for people and you've maybe had a strong burden to pray for someone. And you prayed for them and it's not a surprise. <laughs> they were saved. It's a mystery. We don't understand it. I don't think we're meant to, but somehow God works and moves through us. 
through the Holy Spirit to pray for what he knows will be done. We not only see this, though, in Jesus' instructions, but we also see it in his practice. Jesus wasn't telling them to pray when he did not pray as the God-man Uh, Jesus probably could have continued his whole life in unbroken communion with the Father so that prayer, especially verbal prayer, might not have even been necessary at all. Yet Jesus prayed. He taught people to be prayed. He made sure they heard him pray. And there were times when he very specifically prayed. I've often liked what he said at the uh, tomb of Lazarus before he called him out. He said, Lord, I I know that you've heard me. Remember that? He wasn't saying that for anybody's benefit except for everybody around. He said, I want you to, I want everybody around to hear this. Jesus prayed. He prayed aloud. He prayed in unbroken communion with the Father. He prayed as an example. He prayed because it was needed. Jesus wasn't wasting time. Fully man, fully God, Jesus needed prayer too. And so there is the authorization to pray. Jesus said, ask, ask. He also gives us an organization for prayer we're going to talk about tonight. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock. Those three words stand out for us. Asking refers to our common way of verbalizing our prayers. We ask. We ask. Seeking is when we take that a little deeper because it is more of a heart matter. We're not just asking. We're seeking. Do you see how the intensity has grown? We ask. But we seek. It is a yearning, a burden, a desire, often Attributed to the work of the Holy Spirit as he intercedes for us and in us with the groanings which cannot be uttered. Then there is the knocking. Uh, It is uh, uh, not a a timid little. It's not a timid little thing. But the banging, knocking. The knocking that keeps on knocking. The knocking. Uh, Sometimes our prayers may be barely a whisper. Sometimes we shout. Often we cry. Sometimes we can't speak at all. I've got good news for you tonight. Jesus is okay with all those kinds of prayers. The one kind of prayer that Jesus warned us against was the kind of prayer that the heathens make thinking he said that they would be heard for their vain repetition. And that came about if, a, if we studied that uh, uh, ancient type of prayer that was found in the mystery religions and the idolatrous religions of Jesus' day. We would find that their prayers often uh, involved a rhythmic repetition of sounds and syllables that they just said over and over again. They were unintelligible. Uh, they had a certain rhythm. And they repeated these things until oftentimes they would fall into a trance-like state. Uh, If that sounds familiar to you, it should. Uh, This prayer has been going on, this type of prayer, this kind of thing that's called prayer has been going on for a long, long time. And it is the express thing that 
Jesus warned us about. Paul talked about praying with the Spirit and praying with the understanding also. And I'm convinced tonight that we can pray as we are led by the Spirit of God. And we can pray with our full understanding so that we know exactly what we are asking. We know exactly what that burden is, what we are seeking. And so when we are knocking on heaven's door, we know exactly what we want that door opened for. It is a fervent desire as we ask and we seek and we knock. The organization of prayer. Then there's the response, how prayer is recognized. Verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened some have suggested that ask is the work of faith because faith believes and therefore ask we would have no reason to ask of God unless we believe that God hears and God answers amen why do we ask God because We believe Him. Seeking is a work of hope because hope is expecting an answer and longingly waits for it to come. Knocking then is the work of love because like a child emboldened by love to see his father, it just keeps on boldly pounding away until the door opens and and the desired fellowship is obtained. I don't personally believe that Jesus was uh, promising that every person who asks will always have the guarantee that they get what they ask for. (laughs) Has that been your experience? Hasn't been mine. Even the great theologian Garth Brooks was fond of saying that uh, we thank God sometimes for unanswered prayer. Uh, God doesn't always give us what we ask for, and we learn to even be thankful for that, even in the times that God says no. But yet Jesus says that he who asks receives. And he who seeks will find. He who knocks will have doors open and obstacles are removed. They're not always what we seek. We don't always find what we are looking for. But we receive something when we ask. We find something when we seek. And some door or obstacle is removed. Though not always the ones we expect or the ones we were hoping for. Jesus goes on then and explains his meaning for us as uh, we look on in uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Now, all three of those things have something in common. It is a son who asks a father who loves him for bread. But will he give him a stone that's going to break his teeth? It's going to hurt him. No, the father's not going to do that. If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent that's going to bite him and maybe kill him? No, the father's not going to do that. If he asks for an egg, is he going to give him a scorpion that will sting him and Again, maybe kill him. No. 
And so the father is not going to give the son something that is going to hurt him. That was the point. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts, not things that are going to hurt your kids, but good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Now, there is an understood thing going on that Jesus talks about. And what is that, parents? It is that no parent in his right mind gives his kids everything they ask him for. They don't need everything they ask him for. Sometimes they're asking us for something. They don't need that at all. What they need is something else. They might be asking us for a cell phone, but we know they need blue jeans and tennis shoes or braces or any one of a hundred other things that they need more than they need what they're asking for. They, they think this is what they need, but the parent knows that it's not what they need at all. There's something else they need much more, something else that will help them and be beneficial to them. We have a great example of this in Matthew chapter 9 when they brought to Jesus a man who was sick of the palsy. They carried him in on a bed. And the Bible says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto them, Your sins be forgiven. What a great passage that is. All the scribes had a fit. Well, who does this guy think he is? God forgive. Nobody can forgive sins except God alone. Yes, they had that right. (laughs) And by the way, he was there. Thy sins be forgiven. And of course you know how the, play, how, how the story played out. He did indeed heal the man. But you see he knew that he needed something more. Than just to get well. He needed his sins forgiven. God looks at us in in our prayer. So when we ask we receive something. When we seek we're going to receive something. When we knock then some door is going to be open the question is what is it well Jesus answers that if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him this doesn't mean that we have to uh, ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is God's birthday gift to every believer in Christ John chapter 3 and verse 6 tells us that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. But there is a sense according to what Jesus says in this passage that the Holy Spirit is in fact the answer to every prayer that we ever pray. And I want to show you how that happens because it happens according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Likewise also the Spirit helps our infirmities. The Spirit helps our weaknesses. Our weakness is in a real way the the motivation for all of our prayers. There is something in us that is insufficient. If we could handle it we probably would. But we are praying for God's power. We are praying for God's blessings. We are inherently calling on God because we know, as we like to say, this is above my pay grade. 
I can't handle this. God, I need your help. God, I need your strength. Lord, I need you to do this. This is something that you've got to handle. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He helps our weakness. No wonder Paul would go on to say that I rejoice. I glory in my weakness because when I am weak as I'm strong. But he goes on in this passage, Romans 8, 26. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Through prayer, you see, our will is brought into harmony with his leadership. The Holy Spirit begins to work on us as we pray so that our heart is more in tune with the plans and purposes of God. There are times when the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And if we'll stop and think about it a minute tonight, we are very glad that He does that. Because here I am praying in all the sincerity of my heart, but the Holy Spirit is interceding for me. I can't hear it. I couldn't understand it if I could. But he is making those prayers line up with the will and purposes of God. One preacher told the story of a man in his congregation who prayed for years for his children. Though he had done his best to raise them in church, they had all grown up and never made a profession of faith, went off to college with predictable results. He grew more and more burdened for his kids. And as he prayed for them, it seemed that their rebellion got worse and worse. Finally, as time came to die, the pastor said, and in this man's sickness and sorrow, he called his children together hoping to use that one last time to share the gospel with his rebellious kids before he died. But as a man thought of it, he began to doubt. He thought of their rebellion. He thought about how many times that he had tried to talk to them before and how many times that they had pushed them away. And in his sickness and in his sadness and misery, he was afraid to even speak to his children. After his funeral, his children all remarked on how sad and how sorrowfully their father had approached death. He said they were amazed. One of them spoke for them all. He said, when no one was ever a more faithful Christian than our dad. And yet he died in sadness. And he died in sorrow. And he died in misery. And if Our dad, who knew the Lord the way he knew him, approached death with such difficulty. How much harder will it be for us without any faith at all? And the preacher said that man's children all got saved. Not the way he had expected. Not the way he had wanted. Not the way he intended it. 
You and I would think, oh, wouldn't it have been great if he could have witnessed to them and then all God said, well, sure it would have. And if we think about it, we'd know what maybe God knew that that one more time of witnessing would not have made any more difference than all the other times that he had talked to them about their salvation. What made the difference was seeing their dad die in sadness and in sorrow. He'd go down to his grave in grief. And that prompted them to be saved where nothing else would. Remember I told you there's something mysterious about prayer. Something inexplicable about prayer. We can't always understand it. We can't explain it. But there's something about prayer that brings us in harmony with the plans and the purposes of God. He tells us to do it. He promises us that the Holy Spirit will intercede us for it. Intercede for us. And he gives us that great formula. He that asks, receives. He that seeks, finds. He that knocks, will get an open door. We may not get what we ask for. We may not find what we were looking for. The door that we wanted open may not open. But one door will. God has promised it. With such an incredible promise then, I hope tonight will come a greater devotion on our part to prayer. Never underestimate the power of the prayer. A prayer, I can assure you, the enemy does not. You might have wondered why it was such a crucial matter a few years ago when Prayer in public school became such an issue. But you might remember when children, many of those children, saved children, were beginning every day of their week praying for the blessings of God. When teachers were praying for their students, administrators praying for their students. We can look back at that time and see what our schools were like. We can look back at that time and see what our nation was like. Never underestimate the power of prayer. But the thing is, folk, (laughs) the government can't stop us from praying. They can't. They can't. We may not can pray out loud, but we can sure pray. Oh, may God help us in our days right now to improve our prayer life. I'm going to pray for you tonight, but I want you to pray for me too. Lord, teach us to pray. Let's stand together, please.